The prospects are here, and there are more on the way. We'll talk about prospects with Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, June the 30th. It's show number 38 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we do have another great Tuesday tout show for you. We'll talk with BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon about prospects in the major leagues, prospects soon to arrive, the draft, and much more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon does double duty, reporting on Dodgers right-hander Jose de Leon. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at the White Sox as deadline sellers. And in our frequent flyers comment, Alex Becky looks at Irvin Santana, Eugenio Suarez, and Jorman Rodriguez. It's another big Tuesday tout edition. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We've got prospects everywhere. So we got to talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday Tout Edition, our feature expert interview with BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst Rob Gordon. Rob, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks for having me on the show, Patrick. It's great to be back. Of course, you're on the show every week, but it's really great to be able to talk with you in a little more depth than a minor league minute, although you will have a minor league minute a little later on in the show featuring Jose DeLeon, who's a terrific prospect in the Dodgers system. Um, How are your teams doing in fantasy baseball, Rob? Uh, they're doing okay. I'm in second place in the in the home league that I play in. Um, I actually drafted a really good pitching staff, which I don't normally do. But you know, sometimes you have to zig when the other team zag, and so it seems like you know the the trend over the last couple of years is for certainly for pitchers to be the more reliable commodity. So I finally finally drafted a pitching staff that uh, actually spent some money on. Who's your staff anchor? Uh, Zach Greinke. And I was also able to get uh, Carlos Martinez for a reasonable price and signed him long term. So. It's looking good on the pitching front. I got Carlos Martinez in tout mixed for a buck, and what a get. Yeah, that's amazing. He's, he's really looked fantastic. I was watching the game last night and then listening to it later on the radio, and somebody, one of the announcers, said that they had uh, basically got into his head and told him to just calm down. Yeah. It seems to have paid uh, enormous dividends. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I watched the game too. There was a long rain delay, but then watched the game, and he just looked fantastic. I mean, he was 97, 98, even after the, after the rain delay. And then uh, just a you know change up his change up was at ninety, and then you know really good slider just a just a swing and miss slider so he looks really good right now he does look really good and we'll talk about some other young pitchers I guess during the course of this interview who also look really good Rob have you tried the daily fantasy baseball format you tried daily gaming I haven't tried it yet I've just been so busy that you know the the idea I've tried other formats like football formats and things like that where you you know you do like a different team every week and and all that I just haven't I'm I'm too busy to actually give it enough attention to do it on a regular daily basis so i haven't tried it yet (laughs) rob of course one of the biggest periods of the year for you and the rest of the baseballhq.com scouting team is the major league baseball draft the entry draft and for listeners who don't follow the draft closely how many picks were made and over how many rounds 
Oh, it just is endless, it seems like, especially I was watching the NBA draft the other night, and it's it's two rounds, and they're done, and you're kind of like, wait, what happened? Um, the baseball draft this year went 40 rounds, and I think there were a grand total of 1,215 players selected in the draft, so it's just it, it's just endless. It goes on, you know, basically for, for three days, three solid days, you know, and um, just a lot of players taken. <laughs> Has anyone ever figured out how many of those, you said around 1,200 uh, yeah. players who were drafted, were, will eventually make it to the big leagues? You know, I've never I've never seen a study of that, and, and I have not taken the time to sit down and look at that myself. Certainly, I would think a very small percentage, because you've got to figure, you know, there's 1,200 players every year, and that's not including international free agents that get signed, and there's a lot of those get, that get signed, or guys right. that just get picked up as as free agents. Um, so I would think a very small percentage of those players actually drafted are going to end up in the majors. And, every, you know, everyone's, well, you know, the guy that we're going to do the minor league minute later on, Jose De Leon, was a 24th round draft pick. But that that is really, it's become increasingly rare. They used to have a system that was called draft and follow system. And so the players that were going to go to community college, you could draft them and then you could get a look at them for a year. And sometimes those guys would get, you know, taken like in the 23rd, 24th round on a speculation pick. But but now those the, a twenty fourth round draft pick is really a twenty fourth round draft pick, and and very few of those guys are ever going to make it to the majors. A lot of times they're drafted primarily to provide the organization with depth in its minor yeah. leagues. You know, we need a a third baseman in uh, in single A because we just don't have one, so we'll just draft this kid and throw him out there so we can put a third baseman on the field type of thing. Yeah, absolutely, and that the vast majority of players, that's exactly especially once you get past maybe the the first ten rounds. Yeah, I think teams are still willing to to spend a decent amount of money at that point um sometimes they're looking for a high school kid who's maybe fallen out of the first or second round because of signability concerns and so they're willing to take a chance on a, on a kid like that you know maybe in the eighth or ninth round but once you get past the 10th round it's it's really really rare that these guys are going to make it to the majors um and you're right they're just kind of filling out organizational depth needs the name that jumps out at me is Mike Piazza. Wasn't he drafted yeah. in like the last round? Yeah, I think like the 54th round that year or something like 45th or 54th round, something like that. Yeah. I, I know that some of these players, uh, when you say they've been drafted way down the list, but sometimes they just don't sign and they re-enter the draft in subsequent years, right? And they can climb up that way? Yeah, and that happens all the time, um, you know, where a player doesn't like, especially with the new firm slotting bonus that they have after they redid the collective bargaining agreement a few years ago. Teams can't speculate as much as they as much as they once did. So sometimes a player in the past would fall out of the first round because of the, either the agent that they had or there was an injury or they had a firm commitment to go to college and the and teams didn't think they were going to be able to sign them. Um, and so they would fall out of the first round and the team would maybe draft them in the fifth or sixth round and then, you know, pay him three or four million dollars. Um, Josh Bell was a player like that, you know, who went into the system before they, they changed the collective bargaining agreement. And, and everyone thought he was going to go play football. And the Pirates threw, you know, five million dollars at him and, and convinced him to, to play baseball. Uh, but that doesn't happen anymore because teams get penalized so heavily for for going over slot um, later in the draft that that just doesn't happen as much as it used to. And so sometimes what happens is players will go back and, you know, they won't get drafted where they wanted to. And so then they'll just go play college baseball for, um, you know, depending on where they go, they could 
play community college and go back in the draft the next year, um, or more likely to go play college for three years. And then, you know, Steven Strasburg is a good example of that. He didn't really get drafted very high out of high school and then went to, you know, play college ball and then, you know, ended up being a first-round pick. It seems to be a, a sensible way of going about it if you're a kid coming out of high school, especially if you haven't filled out physically. You give yourself a chance to dominate at a higher level while you get bigger and stronger, uh, hitters or pitchers, and put yourself in a better position after two or three years of college for the scouts to say, hey, look, at this guy's put on 40 pounds, he's four inches taller, and he's really swinging the batter, he's really throwing that fastball. And all of a sudden, you got drafted in the tenth round. You could move up to the second or first. You know, I think there's a couple of different ways to go about doing it. Certainly, that's one possibility. But you know, my sense is also that the the instruction that you get in college is probably not as intense as you would get in the minor leagues. And so, I think that the teams have really spent a lot of money, you know, over the years developing their minor league systems and their their instructors and and all that stuff. And so probably the level of instruction and coaching you get in the minor leagues is going to be better than than most college coaching is going to be. But you certainly, you know, the, the benefit of going to college is that you've gotten a college education yes, that's, out yeah. of the deal. Hopefully you went to class and, and did all that kind of stuff you're supposed to do. And then you also get the, the coaching and the, the playing experience, especially if you go to a big-time program. You can really get a lot, a lot more exposure. You know, somebody like um, Dansby Swanson for – for Vanderbilt, it's going to get a lot more exposure playing in the College World Series a couple of the years, and you know, then being able to go, you know, be the the first overall pick. Yeah, that certainly worked out for him. Um, but you know, it, if you don't get into a scholarship into a big time program, it is a little bit more of a risk, I think. And the the further risk is that you could be a dominant kid coming out of high school, at least in your league, and then you say, well, I'm going to turn down this forty thousand dollar bonus or whatever they offered right. me in the fifteenth round. I'll go play in college and and get your behind handed to you at the college level, and all of a sudden you're not draftable at, at all, all, and you just right. lost forty grand. Or you get hurt if you're a pitcher. You go and you know you sign and, and get hurt, and then just aren't the same player anymore. Yeah. It's quite a, a situation, and before we move on, Rob, I've always wondered about this, and this may be asking you for a legal opinion, and if you don't <laughs> want to talk about it, that's fine, but how is it that the players in Major League Baseball can bargain away the rights of kids who are not in Major League Baseball insofar as how much they're allowed to sign for, the slotting rights, and all of that kind of stuff? If, if you were a, a kid who was drafted, why can't you say, I never signed this contract. I'm not in the big leagues until I sign a contract. I should yeah. be. They should be allowed to sign me for whatever they want, and I should be allowed to bargain for whatever I can get. Well, and I, I mean, I don't know the legal ramifications of that, but I mean, certainly that that argument's been made, um, and I think that you know that that's a legitimate concern. I mean, it is something that um, is kind of a unique system that you know, even even the fact that MLB has signed off and agreed that they're not once a player goes to college. And they're not going to then draft them until after their junior year. I'm I'm not exactly sure what how legally binding that is, but to, you know players have challenged that in in courts and, and certainly agents have challenged that in courts over the in, in previous years. But um, you know for whatever reason that the system seems to remain in place. And you'd think also they'd have an excellent argument by saying, you know, if Jimmy here instead of having been been born in uh, in uh, Boca Raton, Florida, right. had been born uh, ninety miles away in Cuba or uh, yep. you know three hundred miles away in the DR, right, he can sign for whatever anybody will pay him. Yeah, at sixteen, and and you you're right, yeah, he can come up whatever he wants. He's not he's not limited to the same uh, you know agreements and and whatever. And and I think that you know there's been talk over the years of trying to have uh, just one draft, and so all the international players would kind of come under the the same drafting system, 
or at least have an international draft in, in conjunction with the, the first-year player draft. But um, nothing, nothing has come of that yet. And I imagine the people who are involved with these young players who are outside of the draft system are going to do their very best to keep it just like it is because the, uh, it certainly works to the benefit of those young players. They can sign younger and for more money, and there's really no restraint. They can play one major league team against the other, which yeah. a drafted player, of course, can't do. Right. And it's interesting, you know, the Brady Aiken situation from last year with Scott Boris as his agent, you know, they, um, he, they, they both, you know, failed to sign with the, there are two players that the Astros failed to sign that were his, his players. And they both went to the IMG Academy and, and played, we're going to play there. And Aiken obviously got hurt, but, um, but still that's, I mean, there, there are definitely people thinking about ways around the system and sort of some of the inequities that are, that are built into the system. And regardless of what you think of Scott Boris, I do think that he, he certainly is one of the, the leading agents for, for, you know, change in, in terms of the slotting system and, and everything. But, um, you know, baseball tends to be exempt from most collective bargaining um, laws that that are on the books, and so I don't know if that's why they've been able to get away with it or not. But um, not enough of a legal expert to know that. Yeah, may, I'll have to find a legal expert and ask. Uh, and of course, if some kid successfully challenged uh, the um, the draft system and the slotting system, boy, you you could see that the draft itself all of a sudden becomes fairly legally tenuous, right? Because the whole system is based on salary restraint imposed on players who aren't in the union by players who are right. before they join the union and it yeah. seems like it seems like you'd have an argument i wonder if uh maybe because you have a, the one team in canada maybe the rules are different here and maybe somebody could be more successful suing baseball in canada based on yeah. canadian law rather than in the u.s based yeah. on u.s law i guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see it's real interesting and, and one <laughs> thought about scott boris i think he's doing a great job for his clients and that's his job and every time I have somebody, you know, criticize Scott Boris for the damage he's doing to the game and so forth, my question to them is always, if your son was in line to <laughs> sign with a Major League Baseball team, would you would you want Scott Boris representing him? And the honest ones usually say, you know, yeah. You well, know. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's perfectly horrible if it's some other guy's kid, but if it's my kid, I want Scott Boris getting every dollar he can get. To, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know. I mean, he think he, it, it, certainly. I think there's good and bad about his, the way he approaches um, his, his work, and I, I think that from a player's perspective, I mean, there's a reason why the top players continue to go to him, and it's not an accident. <laughs> That's right, and uh, I think that the latest figures were that Major League Baseball now is the lowest. Uh, among the major sports in terms of how much of the revenue coming in goes out to the players, even yeah. in basketball, which has a very restrictive CBA, the amount of money of the revenue that goes to the players is quite a bit higher than it is uh, in Major League Baseball. So I, I suspect we might see some interesting things coming with the next collective bargaining agreement. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com, minor leagues analyst. And Rob, back to the draft uh, uh Let's start by looking at the teams or the organizations. When you're sitting there as an analyst and looking at the draft, what are you looking for to assess how the organizations did? Well, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in taking the best player available. I think uh, regardless of the cost or, or what the organizational need is. Um, you know, and I think you saw the Astros do that. They took Alex Bregman with the second overall pick. He's a shortstop. They really don't need a shortstop. They have one of the best young young short spots, shortstops coming up in, in baseball in Carlos Correa. But he was the best player available, and so I, I'm a I'm a big fan of doing that. And I don't like it when 
I mean, the draft is enough of a crapshoot without making the law the odds even longer by by taking a player with lesser talent. Um, or you know, sometimes what teams have done, they'll they'll take a player thinking they might be easier to sign, like a a college senior or um, you know, a college junior who who doesn't really have uh, definitely wants to go pro, but maybe isn't going to ask for the full bonus that they're entitled to. Um, I think whenever whenever you do that, you see a player overdrafted like that, you end up paying more than what you would have normally paid, and you got lesser talent. And so, you know, looking at the Cubs, um, they took Hayden Simpson a few years back. I don't know if anybody remembers him, but they took him 16th overall in the draft, in part to save money, and he never made it above high A, and he's he's now out of baseball. So they spent, you know, well over a million dollars for a guy that they never got anything from. So I, I really think you know, and they needed pitching and all that. So I, I think you, sh- I think teams need to take the best player available, figure out where they got that player is going to fit into the system. You know, they could always trade the player later on, like the the Padres did with Trey Turner. Although that that might not be a great trade for them. Yeah. But you know, I, I I'm a fan of taking the best player available, and I think when teams do that, that usually leads to a good draft. When teams either are trying to save money or try to draft higher a higher you know lower ranked player for an organizational need, I think that that's where they get into trouble. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of uh, the drafts that we have in our fantasy baseball situations where uh, a lot of times you're forced into taking a guy higher than you want because uh, there's been a run on closers or all of a sudden you realize there's no third baseman left. And it's, it's... it's necessary, but it's never a good thing. And in, in the entry draft in Major League Baseball, it's never necessary because right. theoretically you're going to have at least all your positions filled at the Major League level. Why not take the best available guy? And Alex Bregman, by the way, is a nephew of uh, Larry Schechter, the author of Winning Fantasy Baseball. It must have been very exciting for Larry. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> when we talk about the teams, Rob, when you look at them, uh, which teams did you think had really good draft? Well, certainly, you know, I talked about the Astros. I think they had the easily had the best draft. They had they had uh, two picks in the in the top five, so that that kind of gives them a leg up already. Yeah, that's um, a start. They took LSU shortstop Alex Bregman at number two. They already signed him to a five point nine million dollar bonus. It's I'm not quite sure he's worth five point nine million dollars, honestly. But you know, he is a very good player, very polished player, should be able to stick at shortstop, very athletic, can hit. Then they took high school outfielder Kyle Tucker at number five. He was also considered to be a top 10 pick. And then they took Daz Cameron, who's the son of former major leaguer Mike Cameron. Um, he fell um, all the way out of the first round, and they took him at number 37. Um, in part, he fell out of the first round because, again, Scott Boris is his agent. Um, and he, you know, definitely was was looking for a big payday, and the the Astros haven't signed him yet. But if they do, they'll end up with three of the top ten picks going into the draft. Three three players in the top ten going into the draft, and so I, I think you can't beat that. I mean, at the very least, they got at least two of the top ten players with um, Bregman and, and Tucker, and both of them have already signed. Um, I also like the Rockies draft. They took they took who I thought was the, actually the best player in the draft at, at number three with Brendan Rodgers. He's a high school shortstop. Um, and then they followed that up with uh, high school right-hander Mike Nickerak. And then high school third baseman Tyler Nevin, who's the son of former major leaguer Phil Nevin. So I think I think the Rockies had a really good draft. I like the player. That, like I said, I think they took the best player available in Brendan Rodgers, so that's great. And I also like the Texas Rangers. Um, they went the college route and got UC Santa Barbara flamethrower Dylan Tate at number four. And then Duke right-hander Mikey Matula at number three. And Matula is a really good player. I think he could really be a, a steal at number three. He's not a hard thrower, but he definitely throws strikes, so I, I like him. So I think those those are the three teams that really kind of stood out to me. 
You mentioned Kyle Tucker getting drafted by Houston. Is is his brother not in the Houston uh, organization, Preston Tucker? Yeah, Preston Tucker, yeah. Yep. So they could end up uh, having a, a an Alou brother situation if they could find one more Tucker. Right. <laughs> and it's amazing how many how many times you see this happening where there's some sort of connection to whether it's an uncle or whether it's a brother or a father, how many of these players end up um, you know getting drafted and, and actually turning into, you know, Kirk Gibson's son, the Tigers just drafted him, I think, in the fifth round. Um, these guys actually, I mean, in part because they understand the rigors of what it means to play professional baseball. Um, they were around the game, so they understand not, it's not just all glamorous, but that it's a profession and how to kind of go about approaching that. And I think the, you know, the parents or the siblings can kind of um, tutor them and, and tell them what to, how to comport themselves and those kinds of things that can sometimes make a big difference. I remember uh, discussing this with you about Nick Gordon of the Minnesota Twins when he got drafted. Of course, Tom Gordon's son right. and uh, and the brother of D Gordon, who's now playing in Miami. Right. Which teams, Rob, did you think had poor drafts? Well, it's I don't know. It's always hard to tell when teams had a poor draft because sometimes, you know, players just flame out, and you can't really know that going in. Um, I, I think the team that that to me overdrafted the, the most egregiously were the were the Marlins. They took um, power hitting first baseman Tyler Naylor with the 12th overall pick and he's from he's from canada sorry patrick he's from canada <laughs> so you know he, he didn't really play a lot of real serious competition um and he's a kind of a maybe a more one-dimensional player and the power is, is his definite carrying tool but um he wasn't sort of i think on anybody's radar in terms of a top even 30 or maybe even a top 50 pick and so um, you know, I understand why they why they did that. Power has definitely become a scarce commodity in the draft. Um, you saw teams def. I think the players that, that surprised me were players like like Naylor, who who had good power upside and maybe didn't have quite as much upside in terms of their athleticism. Um, and so those players tended to get drafted much sooner than they would have in previous years, as teams really are desperate for for power hitters. But still. I think they were better, a lot better players, a lot more polished players on the board at that point in time. So you end up paying somebody like Naylor, you know, a bonus for the, being the 12th pick in the draft. You're going to still have to pay him, you know, two or three million dollars. And I, I don't think at this point in time that that was justified. Mind you, when you look at how the Marlins make a lot of their roster decisions, you know that somewhere in the background there's uh, somebody counting beans and, and trying to figure out how they can do everything on the cheap. Yeah. So that that's something just an organizational culture thing because, uh, sad to say, but it seems like they're way more interested in turning a profit uh, using every trick in the book than they are in putting a winning team on the field. Uh, that certainly seems to be the case. Yeah, that certainly has been the trend over the last, you know, well, since they started as an organization. And yet yeah. they've got more World Series than a lot of much better run organizations. So yeah, uh, who's that's to true. say? <laughs> uh, Rob, is there any kind of breakdown or have you heard or read anything about uh, young players coming into baseball and their success rates based on whether they were drafted out of high school or whether they did college? Well, you know, I think there have been some research over the years um, in Baseball America and some other places where they where people looked at that kind of thing. And no, I don't think there's really a substantial, at least the players that have gone on to be, you know, really elite level or successful major league players, whether they came out of high school or college, there really doesn't seem to be um, any, any noticeable preference um, where the players came from. And so I think... I think, you know, the collective bargaining agreement, I think, has changed teams thinking on this a little bit. I think over the last, you know, three or four years, there have been more college players taken in the first round than what had been in the case in the past, in part because, you know, with the firm uh, slotted bonuses, 
teams want to know what they're getting. And so I think having that predictability, you know, you look at the at the draft this year, and I think seven of the top 10 players in the draft were, were college players. Um, you get a much better read on what the player is going to be. You've got to see him, as you said before, you know, you get to see him for two to three years, usually three years. Um, playing at you know fairly elite level schools, and so they get really good competition. You get really good read on the player, and if you're going to invest that kind of money, I think that tr- I think that trend is going to continue, where we see college players being preferenced over high school players. But in terms of the success rate, so look at you know somebody like Shelby Miller came out of high school, um, or Carlos Martinez was an international free agent. So those kind of players are still going to make it to the majors. I think just in the same rates that they did before. I just think teams are going to be playing it a little bit more safe than they used to. And you look at a guy like Shelby Miller, he got to the majors, but he struggled in yeah. his first uh, in his first kick at the can while he was going through the age period where he would have been in college. Right, and absolutely. it's possible that maybe when if he had gone to college, he would have come out with his guns firing. On the other hand, he cashed a big check a few years earlier yeah. than a guy who waited three years in college. Yeah, but you look at Chris Bryant. I mean, the reason he has done so well, I think, although he's striking out a lot, but I think the reason he's done so well is because he had those three years of college and he was able to sort of, you know, figure out what, you know, you look at his approach at the plate when he was a a first or second year student versus, um, you know, his third year in college. And, you know, he was much more compact, um, much better swing, made more contact. And and certainly those things can be learned in the minor leagues. It's just that it's... um, you know, it's whether you're learning on the job or whether you're learning in college. And he certainly, I think, to his benefit, you know, um, made a much bigger contract uh, than if he had signed out of high school. On the other hand, especially with pitchers, is there not a concern that because a college coach is being paid by the wind, basically, that there's uh, the possibility for uh, abuse of a, of a young pitcher, even with notwithstanding, I think they have certain rules about usage and so forth. But um, we've read horror stories about the aces of, of college programs, not necessarily at the very top level, but in that next tier where a guy's struggling to get into the playoffs or into the College World Series and he'll leave a guy out there to throw 135 pitches and then pitch him three days later kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it still happens. I think, I think um, you know, college coaches are much more under the microscope than they used to be. But, you know, I mean, even watching the College World Series, you saw, you saw pitchers, I think, with, I thought, fairly high pitch counts and then, and then usage where they, you know, might even get a couple of days rest in, in terms of some of the, you know, long relievers that they, that they used um, through quite a few pitches. And I think, I, I do think, you know, managers in the minor leagues are there to develop the players. And so, you know, if a team drafts a, a, a bonus baby, you know, high school player, they're going to be on strict pitch counts, especially at their 18, 19, 20-year-old age. You know, they're going to be very cautious with those players. Whereas if that same player is in college, there's, the, you know, the coach is there, as you said. The coach is there to win games. Right. Um, and the, the, there is no organizational you know, alliance there. And so the, the, the coach is just trying to, they're obviously not going to intentionally try to hurt the player, but, um, but the incentive is, is to win rather than to develop the player strictly. And that's the same. The same thing is true of all college sports. Football is notorious sure. as well for like throwing guys out there when they're hurt, not being too fussy about concussions right. and, and those kind of things. So it's not just a baseball thing, Rob. It seems to me, and I've never seen research on this, and I certainly don't follow it nearly as closely as you do. But it seems to me that top round draft picks in the baseball draft flame out 
at the minor league levels a lot more frequently or a lot more of them than do players in, say, the football draft where things seem to be much more predictable and a lot of those guys, first and second rounders in the NFL draft, seem to end up playing it's out of proportion to what goes on in baseball. Am I right about that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. In part because the development curve is is so steep for baseball compared to, I mean, most football players have you know gone to three or four years of college, and so they are much older. Um, they're not getting drafted as eighteen year olds. Basketball and hockey, I think, are a little bit unique in that they, you know, players can go in when they're nineteen, eighteen, or nineteen years old, and, and right into the NBA and actually make a significant impact. But um, I mean, in part because so many players are taken. Um, there, it definitely is is a higher flame out rate in in baseball than um, in any other sport, and and I think, you know, having said that though, I think there there has been some research. I know we ran an article on the Forecaster a few years ago about um, players that went on to be elite level players, and they do typically come from rounds one, maybe say one through three. Um, you know, about forty to forty five percent of the elite level players are actually drafted in rounds one and two, so it's it's. A more of a crapshoot than other sports, but it's not it's not a total crapshoot. And I think if you're going to get those elite level players, they're typically going to come from the first or second round. Well, here's a question uh, for leagues like my home league. We have a farm draft where we're allowed to, I think, hold 10 or 12 uh, minor leaguers while they develop in the, in the minor leagues. Would a, would a, uh, an owner in that situation where you do have some kind of access to a reserve list or something where you can draft minor leaguers, mm-hmm. are you better off drafting a guy fresh off the, ma- the major league draft out of the first or second round? Or should you be looking in the lower rounds to see guys who have blossomed and really uh, moved up the ranks quickly or have performed much better than expected in A ball or, or moved up quickly yeah. into double A, that whole age league thing? Which is the Which do you think is the surer path to maybe landing a guy who can help you at the major league level in a draft? I mean, I'm. I definitely think uh, taking a higher round draft pick, um, and and the reason for that is you got to look at um, Andrew McCutcheon's a perfect example. He was he was a I can't remember what round he got drafted in, but he was a, a higher round draft pick, and he was a little bit slow to develop in part because the Pirates challenged him at every level. Um, they they kind of moved him up. He was young for every age level. They they were convinced that he had the talent. They had invested a lot of money in him, and so there was a huge incentive for them to continue to push him and give him opportunities. Versus somebody like Jose De Leon, you know, not to sort of focus exclusively on him, but a 24th round draft pick is going to have to prove it at every level. There's not going to be anybody in the organization that has anything invested in this kid um, being successful. You know, you don't have any scouts with their careers on the line. You don't have any any GMs, you know, saying I spent four million dollars on this guy. We we have to get something in return for this player. So in part, they get they get a lot more opportunities. They get a lot right. more attention. They get a lot more coaching. They get a lot more assistance. But there's also usually a reason, and they usually are much more athletic. Um, and maybe the tools take a little bit longer to, to come around, but when they finally do, you end up with a, a, a Bryce Harper um, as opposed to, say, maybe an Adam Eaton, who might be a, he was a really good player, but he kind of had to prove it at every level because he was so short, um, or Jose Altuve. You know, he had to prove it at every level, and so it took him a little bit longer to get the opportunities. So I think both organizationally and talent-wise, I think it makes sense to actually look at the first-round draft picks. I would definitely go take a first-round pick and add him to my to my dynasty roster or deep keeper league before I took a guy who who maybe was pitching really well or hitting really well at, at single-A or double-A, in part because you don't know how old he is, you don't know what the organization is going to do with the player. There's a lot more variables, I think, in that case. McCutcheon, 11th overall in the 2005 draft. Uh, right. 
Rob, what causes the top prospects to flame out and at what level of the minors do they mostly flame out? Baseball is all about making adjustments, um, whether it's a mental adjustment or whether it's an actual physical adjustment. And so players that can't make those adjustments, no matter how talented they are, no matter how much, how many physical tools they have, if they can't make the necessary adjustments, those are the players that tend to struggle. And it's hard to know when that's going to, it's hard to know when that's going to hit. Although it typically, I would say the competition really starts to get pretty stiff at high A and at double A. That's really, I think, kind of the proving grounds. Um, at low A, you might still have some age dynamics that are in play. You know, some some teams like the Midwest League, where I would see a lot of games, you, you're going to have 18-year-olds going up against 23, 24-year-olds. And so it's a little early to sort of read any definitive conclusions into that. When you get to, to high A, the age stuff t- starts to, to even out, and then especially at double A. So I think if players are going to struggle and, and show weaknesses and start to get frustrated, I think it's really going to be at high A and double A. And based on what you've told me in past shows and what I've read, uh, a really good indicator is a high draft pick who's who's ahead of his time. He's 19 in double A instead of being the 21 or 22 that we'd expect. So if he's early for his level and, and surviving or thriving, this is a guy you really want to keep an eye on? Yeah, absolutely. So something like J.P. Crawford from the Phillies hit, you know, as a 20-year-old hit 392 in the Florida State League and immediately got bumped up to double A where he's He's definitely holding his own. So that's a player that I, you know, I don't know where we had him at the at the you know preseason top 100, but he's definitely a top 10 prospect at this point, just because he's so young and he's doing so well at, at high A and double A. And so those are the players that really you know make those. We talk about breakouts. That's the kind of breakout that you really want to see a player have, especially at that age. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon, BaseballHQ.com minor leagues analyst, uh, and Rob. If you had to pick one hitter from this draft and one pitcher to be the first ones to reach the majors, who do you think you'd pick? Well, I think it's it's always tricky because yeah. you never know what teams are going to do or what they're thinking. The one guy that I think, at least on the pitching side, that has a good chance to get there early is Tyler J. from Illinois. He went to num- at number six to the Twins. Um, and he was used mostly as a closer during his sophomore and junior years at Illinois. They did start him a few games, um, especially once the, the uh, Illinois got to the – the regionals and everything in the college world series they they used him as a starter and he looked pretty good and i'm sure you know drafting him at number six i'm sure the twins are hoping that they can convert him to a starter um but i think the jury's very much out on that and you know if i think if the if the twins continue to play well they could kind of used him like the royals used brandon finnegan last year in that long term they're kind of thinking of him as a starter but in the short term you know he throws he throws really hard he's really effective as a reliever he's used to that role they could i could see them bringing him up even this year and then using him down the stretch if they feel like they need another power arm and then maybe during the offseason converting him back to a starting role so I think he's definitely a player to keep an eye on. And in terms of the hitters, hitters are a little bit harder because you don't usually see that dynamic where a team's like, I'm gonna, we're going to use this guy in this specific role that, you know, like a pitcher might be as using him as a relief player. Um, but Dancy Swanson, I think, is 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 there's a reason he went number one. Um, very polished college player at Vanderbilt, so he has good college World Series experience. Although he didn't do didn't do so hot this year in the college World Series. But Arizona desperately needs some offense and stability from shortstop, and so I could definitely see him being on the fast track, but we're probably talking, you know, at the earliest would be late 2016. 
Yeah, so much of it depends on the, what the team needs at any given time. They might rush a guy to the majors uh, ahead of schedule just because they need something. I think the, yeah. the example you made of the Twins is really interesting because remember when David Price came up for Tampa, he ended up being a reliever and closer in the right. World Series. Yeah. And and it was, seemed like a really good way to get allow him to get his feet wet at that level without putting the burden of starting a game and pitching six or seven innings on a 22 or 23-year-old kid, whatever he was at the time. Right. And, uh, boy, you could sure see the Twins doing that, uh, especially if they somehow hang on and remain competitive in the American League Central. I have my doubts. I have to say that yeah. they can do that. but I do too, but I could see, I could see that as a scenario possibly. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, it would be real interesting to... Overall, Rob, uh, we'll wrap up the draft. Uh, what do you think was the biggest surprise in the draft for you? Well, I think, I think the the I was going in the draft thinking there would be some some, some surprises. <laughs> the fact that there there weren't many surprises, um, the draft went largely according to plan, and I think it has for the last couple of years, just because teams because of the the slotting, you know, the firmer slotting bonuses, teams really are not wanting to take chances, and so. The top players, I think there was a little bit of discussion. I mean, the, the first three players taken in the draft were all shortstops, two college shortstops and then a high school shortstop. And I actually think the high school shortstop, Brennan Rogers, is probably going to be the best player long term. But, you know, the fact that teams are willing to take at that high level in the draft, take players, you know, and Alex Bregman and Dansby Swanson, who are good players, but not they're not Chris Bryant kinds of players and they're not... Um, Bryce Harper kind of players, but they're still, because of the sure thing that they're looking for, these guys are definitely going to be major leaguers. They're definitely good hitters. They make good contact. They have a good approach at the plate. But neither one's a sure thing to stick it short. But the fact that those guys went one and two and not somebody with a higher upside, I think was kind of surprising. Um, you know, and then the, the Josh Naylor pick, I think, was was a big surprise to me. Um, but I think other than that, the draft went largely according to plan. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Rob Gordon from BaseballHQ.com, a minor leagues analyst. And Rob, we've certainly given you guys a lot to work on in the call-ups report this year, a cavalcade of top prospects and middling prospects just flying up into the majors. Uh, you mentioned Chris Bryant, uh, Addison Russell, Archie Bradley, I'm just uh, Carlos Rodon, yeah. uh, Noah Syndergaard. Buxton before he got hurt, Michael Franco, yeah. uh, Francisco Lindor, Heaney, Marrero, of course, Carlos Correa. I'm sure I'm missing more. Is this a really unusually heavy year for clubs bringing up their prize prospects? Yeah, it definitely is. Um, and and I'm trying to figure out why that is, because in the past, teams have always been, you know, even looking at the Chris Bryant situation, teams have been very conscious about um, salary ramifications down the road. And certainly we're past the, the Super 2 deadline, and so teams don't worry have to have to worry about, you know, um, losing a, a year of uh, arbitration eligibility and things like that at this point. But still, teams in the past, I think, have been fairly cautious with some of these players um, and then really... You know, I, I think last year Chris Bryant would have made sense to even call up at the end of the year, and the, and the Cubs didn't do it. So it's really interesting to me that all these players have come up, and, and not only that they've come up, but they've played as well as they have. I mean, these guys don't look overmatched at all. Um, certainly, I think there have been a couple of situations where, you know, the players you mentioned, I can't think of any of them that have really struggled significantly. Um, and I think that that's really surprising. Archie Bradley's, you know, had some injury issues. But I think all the other players, I mean, even Michael Franco, who I think was, you know, had some contact issues and certainly has an unorthodox approach at the plate. But he's just been fantastic. And I keep waiting for you know, sort of the, the other shoe to drop and for some of these players to really struggle. But it, it really hasn't happened. And so 
I think teams are seeing that and saying, well, I don't know if the Cubs can do it and if the Astros can do it, maybe we can do it too. Um, you know, the Mets have, have now Syndergaarden and Mats, uh, Stephen Matz up and they both look really good. <laughs> and so I think, I think maybe there's a, been a, a, a tie to me. You look at the number of players under 25 in Major League Baseball right now that are really, really good. I think it's just unprecedented, at least in the last two decades. And that, that makes me wonder about whether this is a change in attitude or just a kind of a one-off thing because you just happen to have all these terrific prospects who are ready to take the step. Do you think that next year and the year after that and the year after that that we're going to see more prospects arriving sooner or is this just one of those weird one-off things? I don't know. I, th- I think it's not a weird one-off thing. I think I think it's going to happen more frequently. I mean, you look at the players, I, you know, just looking, like I said, we're working on our updated top 50 list, and it was it was just devastated because of all the players that, that came up, but I'm still looking at some of the players that are that are available, and there's some really good players that are on the horizon. Um, and and I don't, you know, even watching the players that, that got drafted this year in, in, in the draft, and you think about somebody like Dansby Swanson and Alex Bregman, I think those guys are going to come up and, and have success right away just because the college programs in, in, that they're going to increasingly are really preparing them well for the limelight. I mean, you look at somebody like Bregman or um, Swanson, they both have been on TV numerous times, interviewed numerous times. They understand some of the rigors, ups and downs of the games maybe may better than, than they did 10 years ago. And I, I think it's, I think it's a, a trend that we're going to continue to see, and I don't think it's just a one-off. When you look at all the great young players we've seen come up, I, I had a list of them a minute ago, and mm-hmm. certainly I'm sure I missed some more, but when you look at all these great young players who have reached the majors this year, pick out two or three you think are going to have the most significant fantasy careers. Well, I think Chris Bryant obviously you know, sort of stands out. Um, I think he's going to, once he, he's always going to strike out a lot, but he, I think he's also got 50-plus walks, so I think that's just the kind of player he's, he's going to be. But I think... You know, it's a guy who who can probably hit 30 plus home runs a year and, and maybe hit 270 or 280, and then maybe have a couple years where he might hit 40 home runs. Um, Carlos Correa, I think, has just been um, just a phenomenon. He, he I think he's really going to be fantastic to see the all around tools that he has, the power that he's showing, the ability to play shortstop, the speed, the sort of savvy understanding of the game. I think he's just going to be fantastic. He's going to be a, a perennial all star. Um, Byron Buxton, I think, is going to be an interesting player. I don't know if you saw the triple that he hit the other day, but he just is extremely fast, and you really can't, you know, teach that kind of speed. And so that's sort of the wild card with him. I'm not—he's a little less polished than some of the other guys are, but I just think that the tools are just off the chart with him. And I think if he ever th- puts it all together, he has the potential to, you know, to be one of those guys that hits 25, 30 home runs and steals 30 bases and hits 300. So I think those are the three that really stand out to me. None of them pitchers. Uh, take a pick from Archie Bradley, Noah Syndergaard, Mats, and Andrew Heaney. Oh, you know, the pitchers are just so unpredictable. It's it's hard. Um, I would have to say Syndergaard just because he's, he's shown that he can do it. He's He's got a good arsenal. Um, the other guys do too. Heaney's not quite got the same velocity. So, you know, push comes to shove, I'll take the guy who can throw 97, 98 miles an hour. Um, when needed. Um, Matt's is good. I just worry about the the injury history. You know, he, he really took a long time to recover from Tommy John surgery and um, always had good stuff, kind of disappeared for two or three years off the prospect chart and then kind of came back. So I think, you know, just, just to err on the side of caution, I would probably say Syndergaard. Any of the names I mentioned 
unacceptably high risk? Well, I think Bradley, I mean, I think certainly he's been off and on, you know, injury history. Um, I think there's definitely some concerns there. Um, I, I'm skeptical. I think the stuff is really good. I think the, the you know, his ability to, to rack up strikeouts is good, but I just worry that there's something structurally wrong there, right? And that he's gonna he's gonna have to have some sort of surgery at some point in time. So, as as much as I like him, I, I'm just very cautious about um, his long term future. Uh, speaking of injuries, uh, I got Byron Buxton in my Tout Wars draft because I needed bags, and of course he got hurt right away, and that seems to be a bugaboo for him. He's been hurt yeah. a lot. Yeah. No, and I think just the way he plays the game, the sort of the the speed and athleticism that he has is something that, you know, sometimes, you know, think about the Cubs' Jorge Soler. He's been, it's the same thing. I mean, just very injury prone, very dynamic when they're on the field, but um, very injury prone too. And so I think think you have to be cautious about that kind of thing. And certainly it's a little early to label him as injury prone, but um, there's definitely some red flags though. You know, when I look at a guy uh, like Buxton, he reminds me of the tennis player Gael Monfils, who's a very wiry, like Alfonso Soriano mm-hmm. was, all arms and legs and 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 muscle tissue, and yep. there guys like that sometimes have trouble with their connective tissue. You know yeah. that they put so much strain on it because they're so strong and yep. so wiry that they cause themselves injury just because of how much strength they have in yep. this wiry frame. Well, and even like looking at you know something like Bryce Harper, I mean. You know, he just approaches everything with such intensity that, or, you know, Mike St- or Giancarlo Stanton, I mean, you know, breaks his wrist on a swing and miss. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that is something that, you know, certainly that's one of the reasons why some of these players get injured. And I think Buxton, I, I think you're totally right on that. He's got that long, lean, wiry frame, which you like. But when you see him going around the bases at that kind of speed, you just worry about, you know, <laughs> how is the, how are the muscles going to, in the, in the, like you said, the connective tissue is going to hold up. It's great fun to watch, though, and, and I liked having the Buxton because speed is something that works on a ball field under so many different circumstances yeah. that even though he was clearly struggling, he looked overmatched in the batter's box, frankly, in a lot of the at-bats that I watched with great interest. Yeah. But once he gets aboard, and he seems to be drawing a decent number of walks, once he gets aboard, anything goes. And in the meantime... The Twins can put up with it because he's such a dominant force in the outfield with all yeah. of that speed, and it's not like they were trying to choose between him and, and Andrew McCutcheon. They right. were choosing between him and Aaron Hicks, right. <laughs> and Aaron Hicks wasn't doing anything offensively right. either. Yeah, and so I think the teams are giving players like that a little bit more of a, of a leash than they used to, and then letting them learn a little bit on the job um, more than they more than they used to do, which I think is good to see. Um, and, and you're right. I mean, the the speed and the defense that, that Buxton brings to the table is well worth uh, any struggles he's going to have offensively. A great guy to have on a fantasy a dynasty type team or a keeper league team. Right. One more thing about a guy like uh, guys like Harper, maybe like Trout. I, I don't know if we've seen that yet, but Buxton's little anecdote was he broke his thumb sliding uh, head first into into second. And then he didn't tell anybody, and he played the next day, went 0 for 4, he could barely hold on to a bat. And sometimes maybe something else these young players have to learn is be able to go to your trainer or to your manager and say, I think my thumb is broken and I shouldn't be playing anymore. Yeah, no, but the you know the concern from the time they're young is they're taught to deal with the pain, and if they right, if they sit, up. you know whether they're on a, a travel team or a high school team or a college team, somebody's there, you know, ready to take their place. And the same thing certainly true in the major leagues, probably yep. even more. Uh, before we finish, Rob, uh, which prospects, top prospect type guys, do you think might still be 
on their way to the big leagues before the season ends and, and who might have a fantasy impact? Well, it's hard. I mean, obviously we talked about all the great names that have already come up. And so if you missed out on those guys, there's not, I don't know that there's really anybody comparable to that that's coming up. Certainly Kyle Schwarber will be back up soon. I'm assuming he'll be back up soon. And if you, you know, if he was still available or if you didn't get him the first time around, he would definitely be a player that, that I would target. Um, but there are still some good players out there. Miguel Sano, uh, the Twins third baseman, has got tremendous uh, long-term potential in terms of his power upside. I'm not sure if he's going to hit when he does come up, um, but but that's a possibility. Jose Peraza from from Atlanta, um, he's got great speed. He's just fantastic on the bases, and I think stole 60 bases last year. And I can't remember he's got some you know 30 30 plus stolen bases. I think already this year. Um, on the on the mound, certainly a, a guy that I think I'm surprised he hasn't been up already is Aaron Nola of the Phillies. He's been really good. I think he's only got maybe 10 or 11 walks so far in the minors, and he's racking up more strikeouts than he did last year and uh, with a really, really good ERA. You know, and um, I'm, I don't know if the, what the Phillies, honestly, I don't know what the Phillies are waiting for. Um, Michael Conforto from the Mets may be a little bit of a long shot, but this guy's one of the best hitters in the minors, and so I don't know if, if people know that much about him, but he's definitely a player to, to keep an eye on. I think the Mets have shown with the promotion of Syndergaard and Mats that they're willing to bring players up. So organizationally, I don't think they have anything uh, opposed to that. He started off at high A, and now he's, um, now he's more than holding his own at double A. So it might be a little bit of a long shot, but I could see if the, you know the, if they're looking for offense, which they definitely have been, that somebody like that might be a good player to take a look at. And then the last guy, I guess, is Daniel Norris for Toronto. I just think he's he always goes a little bit. I think he's always been a little underrated. I'm not sure why, but for a lefty that throws hard like that and racks up strikeouts, he's he's a great player to look at for fantasy. And of course, the uh, anecdotes about him or the news coverage about him in his van and being a hippie mountain man or whatever. Right. <laughs> Baseball's still a fairly conservative sport, and I wonder if that yeah. kind of the, those kind of stories following this guy around. Uh, you, you remember reading Ball four years ago that they had yeah. uh, the one guy that uh, Steve Hovley, I think it was, kind of was his own guy and didn't fit in with the uh, haircuts and and the kind of attitude at the time. And this is back in the '60s, and of course yeah. they were always staring at him, and any little thing he did wrong was magnified because they didn't like his approach. Right. And I, I'm sure it's different now than it was in Jim Bouton's time. But I still think there's a, an element of that in baseball where, you know, what is this guy? Some kind of kook. He's got $10 million uh, bonus and, and right. he's living in a van. Right. And I always think of the movie Bull Durham, you know, when Kevin Costner says to to Nuke Lelouch, you know, your flip-flops are, you know, dirty until once you win 20 games in the show, then you can be colorful. But until then, it just means you're a slob. <laughs> so I do think that there's some of that, especially with rookies. I think they're expected to sort of comport themselves in a certain way. And I think people, you know, players that don't certainly do run into some organizational resistance, depending on the organization that they're playing for. But um, that can definitely work against a player until they until they prove themselves successful. Then, then they're colorful, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like that. Uh, the, I am colorful. You are weird. He's an idiot. Right. You know, type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and finally, Rob, one of my favorite uh, aspects of the BaseballHQ.com prospects coverage is the watch list, which yeah. identifies players. They're not always the top guys. They're not always the brightest stars. They weren't top-round picks, but they seem to have a path to playing time, which is just as important because of injuries or underperformance by the big league guys, and they're doing fairly well 
in the minor leagues themselves. Can you think of a few names of players that fantasy owners should be looking for? Maybe not, as I said, not the top guys, but they might get up and do well. I definitely think the watch list column is, is a great thing to check out because it, a lot of times that stuff comes up as, as situationally. And so, you know, a player gets hurt and then, you know, they're going to go. But but it's it's so hard to predict, too, because... You almost have to sort of watch the waiver wire on, on a regular basis and see which players are, are called up. I think it's good to sort of have your, which is, again, the, the purpose of the watch list, to have your eyes on some of those players. But you really almost have to watch the daily transactions to figure out who, you know, this player is down, and so this is the player that's going to that's gonna come up next. I think a, a guy who I'm, I think will get a chance, Aaron Nola, again, is a player that I think would definitely keep an eye on. Tim Cooney from from the Cardinals is a player that I always have found interesting. Again, not a top prospect, um, throws a lot of strikes, has done very well in the minor leagues. If you look at his minor league stats, they're just fantastic. Hardly ever walks anybody. Doesn't strike out a ton of guys, but doesn't walk anybody. Um, he came up and I think had a really brief, he had one start and kind of got lit up a little bit. And so he might have fallen down the, the radar there a little bit. But, you know, if the, if the, Cardinals are going to sort of rest um, Carlos Martinez, which they talked about doing occasionally, or if they run into an injury, he's a guy that I think um, would be worth taking a chance on. And certainly I think the Cardinals have had a fantastic track record. You know, you look at um, some of the players that they've called up recently, and I mean, you know, these these guys are doing well. I don't know, I don't know how they continue to do it, but somehow they do. <laughs> Just for example, the most recent uh, watch list at BaseballHQ.com, some of the names on it, okay, Tyler Duffy, he's a prospect right. in Minnesota, Matt Jingle of uh, Miami, Trace right. Thompson, who's actually on my farm team in my American yeah. League League, but then you also have Arizmendi Alcantara and uh, Jeff Francis, <laughs> like who's right. the farthest thing in the world from a prospect. He's 120 years old, uh, he's a yeah, Canadian exactly. guy, and yet here he is because... There might be an opportunity. Right. Like I said, I think it's it's definitely something that you have to sort of invest some time in and sort of looking at following the injuries that are, you know, and the opportunities that are, that are coming up and then and then looking at the watch list to see what players might re, might replace those guys that are hurt. Mind you, I've had Jeff Francis on a few rosters over the years. I'm not <laughs> sure I'm going to be <laughs> rushing to the waiver wire uh, thing on online to make sure I get my bid in all the same. Rob, this has been tremendous. I really appreciate you taking the time, not just for this, of course, but for the uh, Minor League Minute all year long. Uh, where can listeners keep track of Rob Gordon? I do have a Twitter account that I, that I post stuff on. You can, see, you can find it on Baseball HQ. Um, but mostly, I, mostly just the columns that I do. So I usually do um, one every other week or so on the site, and then um, obviously the draft coverage, and then we're getting ready to do the midseason top fifty prospect update. Um, you know, occasionally we'll lurk about in the in the HQ forums. Um, been been fairly busy this year, so I haven't had a lot of time to do that. But certainly, you know, people can post stuff in there, and I'll and I'll check check it out and take a look at that. But um, usually the weekly columns are, are where you're going to see me the most. And Rob, what is your Twitter handle? At rgordon4. rgordon4, all lowercase with a numeral 4 at the end. Uh, yes. Make sure you hook up with Rob Gordon's Twitter account and find out where he's posting because if you need to follow prospects to be successful in your fantasy league, it's absolutely a must. Uh, Rob, thanks very much for doing this. I do appreciate it, and I hope to see you in uh, November in Arizona. Yeah, definitely planning on it, Patrick. Thanks for having me on the show. Rob Gordon is a minor leagues analyst at BaseballHQ.com. Next up, our HQ commentaries, the Minor League Minute, starring Rob Gordon, our playing time segment, and frequent flyers, all coming up on Baseball HQ Radio. Baseball HQ Radio wants to hear from you, so we've set up a new email address dedicated to Baseball HQ Radio podcast listeners. 
send your email to bhqradio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Give us your ideas about new features on the podcast or how we can improve the existing features. Ask a question for one of our expert guests, our regular beat reporters, or our commentators. And if you can record your question as an MP3 or Og Vorbis audio file and send it to us as an attachment, we'll put it in the show. And let us know what guests you'd like to hear on Baseball HQ Radio. In short, anything you'd like us to know that would help you enjoy Baseball HQ Radio more, you can let us know by emailing us at bhqradio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's bhqradio at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with content like Playing Time Today, which this week analyzes the new-look Mets infield, the Facts and Fluke Spotlight, where this week Ray Murphy digs deep into Justin Upton, and the Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, where this week Stephen Nickrand looks at mid-season PQS targets. BaseballHQ.com updates its content every day across a wide range of great information, like our Buyer's Guide skills assessment columns, performance validation in facts and flukes, and roster changes in playing time today and tomorrow. We also provide daily matchups reports and a daily fantasy dashboard. There's team coverage and minor league scouting. And of course, there are the projections and other roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league. And it's only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Tuesday commentaries. Coming up, we have playing time and frequent flyers. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And returning with a report on Dodgers right-handed starter Jose DeLeon is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. With the Minor League season nearing the halfway point, the Dodgers' Jose DeLeon continues to rocket up prospect charts. The 6'2 right-hander out of Puerto Rico went undrafted out of high school and then attended Southern University where he had a solid, if unspectacular, career. De Leon was finally drafted after his junior season when the Dodgers took a chance on him in the 24th round in 2013. De Leon has worked hard to get into better shape and is in the midst of an impressive breakout season. He has seen his velocity jump from 90 to 92 up to the 93 to 96 range and he mixes in an above-average slurvy slider and an improved changeup. De Leon started the year in the pitcher-friendly California League where he went 4-1 with a sparkling 1.67 ERA, earning him a quick promotion to AA. On the year, De Leon is 6-3 with a 2.37 ERA and a minor league leading 107 strikeouts in just 77 and two-third innings. A 12.7 dominance rate is not too shabby for a 24th round draft pick, and if for some reason De Leon is unknown in your league, he should be rostered quickly as his future looks very bright. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ minor league analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, the BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, our extensive prospect coverage includes Jeremy Deloney looking at batting average, facts, and flukes in A-ball. That's getting down there. There's daily call-ups reports, including the Mets left-handed starter Stephen Matz, Toronto Southpaw Matt Boyd, who had a bit of a rough go on the weekend in his first start, Twins right-hander Alex Meyer, Boston shortstop Devin Marrero, and many more. 
And there's our watch list report, a quick hit look at minor leaguers on the verge of call-up. Because of injury on the big league roster, their own performance, or both. Many players in the watch list are not top-level prospects, but they could provide short-term fantasy value in the right situation. In the latest edition, Baseball HQ's Alec Dopp looks at Toronto left-hander Jeff Francis. Yes, that Jeff Francis. We told you these aren't top prospects. Chicago White Sox outfielder Trace Thompson and others. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our Playing Time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or taking a seat on the bench. In this week's edition, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the White Sox as deadline sellers. As we hit July, it's time to start thinking about the trade deadline already. And though it's still a few weeks away, it's a good exercise to see who might be buying and selling this season and how that may impact your fantasy teams. One seller certainly looks to be the Chicago White Sox. Through Sunday's games, they're 11 games below 500, and they're in last place in the AL Central. Uh, the White Sox also have a plethora of veteran talent, some of which will probably be moved by this year's deadline if the Southsiders don't turn things around quick. Analyst Bob Berger of BaseballHQ.com noted that Jeff Samarja would be a prime trade candidate in his Playing Time Tomorrow column this week on the site. Trading Samarja makes sense given he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. Samarja paid huge dividends as a deadline player last year for AL-only owners when he was sent from the Cubs to Oakland. Though Samarja's numbers are way down this year, his underlying skills are basically as good as they've been each of the past four years. Samarja could again be that difference maker in NL-only leagues if he were to cross leagues this season. Other veteran names that could be dealt on the White Sox include Adam LaRoche, Jose Quintana, Melky Cabrera, even David Robertson, though he just signed a four-year deal with the team this offseason. It's important to look at the trade deadline in terms of fab money for players crossing over leagues in AL or NL-only leagues, but also potential replacements that are currently on that roster. For example, going back to the White Sox, if David Robertson were to be dealt from Chicago, Zach Putnam would probably be the primary guy for saves. He has closer-worthy skills, and he'd be an immediate asset in basically any league. Putnam has a dominant 13.8 strikeouts per nine, which is backed by an elite swinging strike rate. He keeps the ball on the ground. He's been a much better pitcher overall than his 365 ERA would suggest. So get ahead of the curve by taking a look at who might be selling as we get closer to the deadline. Anticipating these moves in advance can pay huge dividends for your playoff push in the second half. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has a playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every Tuesday. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers comment, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Irvin Santana, Eugenio Suarez, and Jorman Rodriguez. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst, Alex Becky. While teams anxiously await the anticipated returns of Jose Fernandez, Matt Kane, and Jake Peavy this week, we'll look at three other players who may be flying under the radar in your league, beginning with Twins pitcher Irvin Santana. Currently serving an 80-game suspension after testing positive for a performance-enhancing substance, Santana is on track to make his first start of the season this weekend against his former team, the Kansas City Royals. 
As a member of the Royals in 2013, Santana recorded 9 wins and 161 strikeouts in 32 games with a 3.24 ERA. In 2014, Santana was a 14-game winner for the Atlanta Braves with a 3.95 ERA and 179 strikeouts. Although his 8.2 DOM, 2.8, and 2.9 command and control ratios in 2014 proved they can be a serviceable starter for your fantasy team, Irvin Santana, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots, who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league. And Santana, if he's still flying under the radar, may represent an excellent buy-low opportunity, especially in AL-only leagues. Now let's turn our attention to our second frequent flyer since today's shortstop, Euanio Suarez. The 23-year-old infielder was called upon to replace the injured Zach Cozart after Cozart was ruled out for the season. You may remember Suarez from the Detroit Tigers last season, where he played 85 games at shortstop, batted .242 with four home runs and three steals, despite having fewer than 50 at-bats at the AAA level. Traded to the Reds in the offseason as part of the Alfredo Simon deal, Suarez began this season at AAA Louisville, where, after a slow start in April, Suarez batted .290 in May with four home runs and two steals before his June 11th call-up to Cincinnati. Since his call-up, Suarez has crushed left-handed pitchers to a tune of a .313 average and .951 OPS. Plus, his .278 average against righties isn't bad either. Be cautious, though. The nearly 70-point differential between Suarez's current batting average and his XBA is a strong indicator that his current batting average is unsustainable. If you own him, consider selling high. Finally, staying in Cincinnati, the home of this year's All-Star Game, our last frequent flyer is Cincinnati outfield prospect Jorman Rodriguez. Through 73 games at Louisville this season, his first at AAA, Rodriguez is batting .277 with 8 home runs and 3 steals. Considering they batted .262 with 9 home runs and 12 steals at AA Pensacola last season, before his brief call-up to the Reds in September, it appears that Rodriguez may be developing better pitch recognition along with more power. His walk rate, however, suggests otherwise. Last season, Rodriguez had a walk rate of nearly 10% at AA, but this season it's barely above 5%. Maybe that will rise as he better adjusts to AAA pitching. Rodriguez has already been selected to represent the world team in the 2015 Futures game, and a second-half call-up is certainly not out of the question. After all, Marlon Byrd is batting .229 through his first 55 games and will turn 38 in August. The bottom line is that Rodriguez appears to be developing all of the tools necessary to succeed at the major league level. And if you want to succeed at every level, including improving your team's bottom line, consider adding Irvin Santana, Eugenio Suarez, and Jorman Rodriguez, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here at Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, June the 30th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 38 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest on this Tuesday Tout edition of the show. It was Rob Gordon. Rob does a great job with prospect coverage at BaseballHQ.com and our Minor League Minute here at the podcast, and it's always great to get his knowledge and insight as a special Tuesday tout guest on the show as well. I also want to thank our other regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield, 
and our frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. I sure hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt. And don't forget about our email address, BHQRadio, all one word in lowercase, at gmail.com. And you'll be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular news and notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.